Matthew chapter 5, for one other scripture passage before we study together. Jesus is teaching, and we have recorded one of those longer passages of his teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And we hear again, echoing the other passages that were read, of light. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. For many of you, Christmas is marked by lots of lights. Outdoor lights, indoor lights, lights on a tree, lights on wreaths newfangled LED lights and old-fashioned candle lights. Modern Christmas makes much of light. But going back in history to find the roots of many of our Christmas traditions, you can't avoid the reality of the winter solstice and feasts that were held to offer a distraction from the long, dark days of winter. For example, the Yule log would burn for days in semi-pagan cultures with the belief that it guaranteed the eventual return of the sun. Those kinds of customs morphed into our more modern cultural traditions, but even back in the Dark Ages, Ancient Christmas made much of light. We can keep going back in history, and we have the account from the Bible of the incarnation of the very Son of God, Jesus. And we should not be surprised to read two remarkable stories of light. One, the blazing light of the angels that appeared to the shepherds. And two, the blazing light that led the wise men from the east to Bethlehem. Going back even further, we hear the Old Testament prophets predict a coming light, a sunrise, a dawning that would bring both light and life. And so the biblical Christmas story makes much of light. This light, the light of Christmas, the light of Christ, shining in our darkness is cause for hope. And so we conclude our study of Christmas hope today with our fourth lesson. 
We began with the truth that God keeps His promises. Generation after generation, building a momentum that God would send a son. That son that finally came in the keeping of God's promise was named Jesus. And it gave us our second reason for Christmas hope. God saves his people. And your story of rescue, your testimony of being drawn to faith in Jesus Christ is just an ancient echo down through the generations, adding to the story of a host of others who have believed and who have that hope at Christmas because God saves his people. Last week, we considered the genealogies, all those names, and a few of the stories behind those names, which almost made us cringe with the details of just the brokenness the sinfulness, the forgetfulness, the idolatry. And we were reminded that God, in his grace, uses broken people. And today, from these passages of light, from the good news of the gospel, we are reminded that God shines light in darkness. You heard this in the readings. Light was predicted in the prophets, Isaiah chapter 9 and elsewhere. It was announced, the light was, even given a name, the word, in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 3, we heard the light rejected. The light refused because of a great love for darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is our theme, that God shines the light into the darkness. And the question I want us to answer this morning is this. What should be our response to the light of Christmas? What should be our response to the light which is called life? What should be our response to the light of Christ, the Savior? I want to offer you four answers this morning. Number one, rejoice that you are in the light. The light that shined on the shepherds was at first terrifying. However, it quickly brought them to a, a place of great joy. That was the message. Good tidings of great joy. So their, their fear, their kind of shock and awe at this blazing light melted away into joy so that they hurried quickly. They said, let us go and see this thing that has come to pass. They wanted the joy that comes from the light. It was similar for the wise men. The light that shined for the wise men was at first mysterious. They studied it from miles and miles away. And they were trying to figure out what this sign might be. 
and it resulted in joy. The text is careful to tell us that every time that shining appeared to the wise men, it brought out exceeding joy in them. Like those early Christ worshipers, our encounter with the light of life must produce joy. Whatever burdens we carry, whatever brokenness exists, whatever sorrow and loneliness is packaged with our pilgrim journey, we must still be characterized by joy. And it comes from constant exposure to the light. It is a joy that understands the darkness from which we have been delivered. Can you remember where you once were, your past condition? We heard it in John 3.19. People loved the darkness rather than the light. They did wicked things. They hated the light and did not come to the light. You say, I don't feel like that's my story. I wasn't hating Jesus or God or religious things. But the essence of the unbelieving heart is a wholesale rejection of God's provision of Jesus for salvation from sin. It's saying, I'm not that bad. I don't need that. And the Bible calls that loving darkness rather than light, hating the light and refusing to come to it. We should rejoice in this Christmas season and in this season of darkness where the days are long and the light seems short. We should be reminded that the light has shined in the darkness the darkness of our own hearts. And we walk in light. Jesus' disciples were being taught by Jesus gospel ministry, and he sent them out for a trial run, a, a bit of an apprenticeship. And they came back with all this excitement that they were able to demonstrate apostolic power. They were able to work miracles. And Jesus reminds them by saying, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that miracle-working power, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the source of joy. Not just a display of power, because there is wicked power that can masquerade as light. Rejoice first and foremost that you belong to the God of light. As we move into this new year, we must remember that in the face of every disappointment, in the face of every brokenness, every heartache, we can rejoice in what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, that God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We should be a people who rejoice 
Not simply because circumstances align in fortunate ways for us, but that the light of God has shone into our hearts through Jesus Christ. Have you entered the light of Christ by faith? This means you have to turn from your sin, from that darkness, and trust in Jesus, the light. And in doing so, he gives forgiveness of all the sin against him that you've committed. He gives that promise of eternal life that we heard in that familiar text of John 3.16. In John 12, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people trying to figure out who he is and whether they should accept what he says. And Jesus gives this word to them. It's one of truth and urgency. Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. We need to hear Jesus' words and recognize that the light of the gospel will not always shine into the darkness of unbelieving hearts. Hebrews would add an exclamation point to Jesus' words saying, today is the day of salvation. Begging the question, why would you wait? If you you can recognize some kind of truth or light, believe that light today. Do not wait for fear that that light will be gone and you will be left walking in darkness, not knowing where you're going. Is God giving you light today to believe? Has this Christmas season been an awakening in your heart of the truth that maybe this Jesus really is significant in God's plan? Maybe he really is significant for for all the the brokenness that I see in my little world and in the big world around me? The call of Scripture in response to the light is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be rescued, be saved. Don't stumble in darkness any longer, but rather walk in the light. Consider a second response to the light. Assuming that we've kind of checked the first box. We're rejoicing that we're in the light. We know who Jesus is. We're trusting him. There's another response. And that is trust the light for daily guidance. You see, we come by faith to Jesus and we say we are trusting him for forgiveness, for a record of righteousness to our account and for everlasting life so that we know when we die, and we will, we will be forever with him in heaven. We trust 
him for that. But if we can trust God with that, the eternal state, then certainly we should look to our life now and be thinking it's the same life of trust. In response to the light, we must trust that that light provides for us daily guidance. Psalm 18, verse 28, a prayer to the Lord, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. Psalm 43 and verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And you probably are quite familiar with Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. These verses remind us that we need the light of God to lead us into daily godliness, daily wisdom, daily right living. And this light that leads us into that holy Christian living isn't some mysterious encounter with God. It may not be any visible light to the eye. That's not what the text is saying. It's using light as this clear illustration for guiding us down the dark pathway. Letting the light of God lead us into daily godliness simply means letting God speak to us through his revealed word, the Bible. Certainly this time of year, we're reminded of the thought of Bible reading plans. And for some reason, it must be all the sugar from the holiday sweets. We are, we're on this momentum, this, this high thinking, you know, I'm going to read through the Bible this year or twice this year, or I'm going to read for 30 minutes every morning. And, and we have grand and noble thoughts. And then we dive into the daily schedule and it gets really challenging. We forgot how many even good things vie for our attention and our time. And we find ourselves lagging further and further behind in checking those boxes of the Bible reading plan. Perhaps you're still struggling to read your Bible consistently. And I'm not talking about all the chapters you would have to read to read the whole Bible in a year. I'm talking even just even a couple of verses or a paragraph has probably escaped many of us on many days of this past year. But remember, everything we're talking about here, we're not just taking a turn now and getting into some legalistic ritual. We're still on this theme of if we have seen the light, then we should be trusting that light for daily guidance, believing the word is a lamp to our feet and it lights our path. That's what we're talking about. So how are we going to get that word into our daily processes of thinking and living? 
think we need to be honest about what it looks like for us to be in the word. I'd suggest the course of action. If, if it has been a struggle for you to read the Bible at really any consistent kind of level, then I would encourage you to tell a Christian friend just that. Tell them, I struggle to consistently read the Bible. And ask them what they might do to help. I'm not asking you to come to me, though you may count me as a friend, but I'm asking you to to seek out a Christian brother or sister because this is what the one and others are all about. We help each other get these things right. And the reason I'm sending you to someone else, a couple of reasons actually. One, they might have a good plan to share with you. They might be able to say to you, I know I know what, what it is to, to face a long commute every day, to get up early, busy days at the office, and busy life at home. Here's what I've been able to do. I don't face much of a commute myself, and I deal with just an unending, uninterrupted silence all day long. It's just torturous. It's a different life than some of you live. So my Bible reading might be in a little different setting than some of you have to find in the schedule you live. I want you to talk to someone and say, hey, how could you help me be more consistent? They might have a good idea, but there's another reason. They might be able to cheer you on. Oh, I know at times we use that word accountability, and and now that person almost becomes the the mean teacher. My father-in-law went to a Catholic school, and he always tells us stories about the nuns and their rulers and such. As soon as you say to someone, will you be my accountability, it's like the nun with the ruler coming after you. Well, think of it instead as someone cheering you on. Ask them to coach you in your Bible reading and see if that doesn't create a different context where now we're out to win and there's the player and the coach and we're on the same path. We're we're trying to get this right. And there's a third reason for you to ask someone else. They might acknowledge that they need help too. You might get through three or four people before you find someone that feels a settled confidence in helping you. That'd be a wonderful opportunity. Now there's a whole team of people that have acknowledged, I'm not real good at this, and yet the Bible says it's going to give me wisdom that lights my path, so I should be good at this, and I also know God's people are going to help me be good at this. And everything we just talked about, the devil is going to war against He's already planting seeds in our minds to keep us from really talking to someone else and saying, I'm not reading my Bible consistently. So know that that's what you're up against on point number two's obedience. We're supposed to trust the light for daily guidance, and if we're neglecting that light, the path is going to seem dim at times. And we're going to wring our hands and stew about what am I supposed to do because we don't have a steady light washing over us. But when God's word is consistently 
washing over our minds, there are two great benefits. One, it will flush out the rudimentary thinking of the world. It kind of creeps in. It infiltrates our thoughts. And if we're not careful, we'll start thinking like the crazy ideologies we hear on the news or hear from our culture. And we're not supposed to think that way. We're supposed to anchor our thinking in the word. So let the word wash over you. Read it. Listen to it. I just saw a couple of emails this week. One of them was from the ESV Study Bible. One was from Crossway. And there's all kinds of new ways to listen to the Bible. Different tempos, different voices. Maybe you like background music. Maybe you don't. Maybe listening to the word would be a part of the repertoire of God's word being a part of your life. I don't think it should replace all reading, but listening is getting it into the mind. It'll flush out rudimentary thinking of the world, and secondly, it will begin laying foundations of wisdom from which you will respond, sometimes in reaction. The word's there, and you won't even be thinking about it, but you will react in a godly way. Why? Because the word is dwelling in you richly. And it was, we might say, second nature to you. Well, when you start studying nature in the Bible, we're told we're partakers of the divine nature, we are supposed to look more and more like the nature of our Lord. So your reaction should be godly, but that will flow out of a wisdom that has been built up by the word. So both your reactions and your deliberate decision making will be helped by you being in the word. In other words... A steady intake of the Bible will ready you, will make you ready for what is next. I don't know what's going to be next. I don't know how New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, which should be a lot of happy, right? Happy New Year. But I don't know if there's going to be conflict in your marriage over some nameless, pithy little thing that comes up. You know how the devil works. Why would we let that happen? Why would there be bad attitudes in children towards their parents on holidays and a fresh new start to the new year, but we know how the devil works? The next thing we might need wisdom for Light for the path is a right response to our spouse, a right response to our parents, a right response to your boss. What's next? We don't know. But we know we need light for that step. So start building that foundation of light, that foundation of wisdom, so that your reaction or your intentional choice will be anchored in God's wisdom. The Bible will ready you with its light for what is next. Perhaps it's a next obedience. 
Is there anything wrong that I should correct? Is there anything right that I should be doing? That I see some patterns in 2023 that really need to be curbed. Or it's not going to lead to spiritual health. What is your next spiritual step of growth? This was the question that we learned to ask 30-some years ago when I first was a camp counselor, challenging that camper in that one week's time, what's the next step of growth God wants you to take? It's built on the assumption that we're supposed to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3. So ask yourself in this coming week, as I enter into 2024, part of the body of Christ, part of a local manifestation of that body in this church, part of a family in all of those roles, in relationships with all these different friends, what is my next step of spiritual growth? I can't stay where I am. So Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to advance the kingdom? How do you want me to serve the body of Christ? How do I need to mature? How do I need to improve my spiritual health? What is the next step? And again, not to beat a dead horse, but I think for a lot of us it would be anchoring that time in the word. Not with pie-in-the-sky ideals, of super spirituality that'll make up for all the past failures, but just with steady plodding in the word. Maybe there's a next big decision you have to make. Let the light of God's wisdom ready you for the next step. Some of you know what that decision is. It's been brewing in your mind for months. Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's some other issue that you know you have to tackle. For some of us, you may not know what that next big decision is going to be until that phone call or till that event and suddenly it's there upon you and you need help. Well, God in his mercy can help us even when we've been neglectful of the word, but shame on us for assuming that would be the case and presuming on his kindness when his given plan for us to be wise in any moment of decision-making is to be in the Word and to let it dwell in us. So bank up wisdom now for that next big decision. We could also say there's a next phase of life. For some of you, it may be stepping into some kind of relationship. As you young people grow into single adulthood or for the singles and um, in our body. Marriage could be on the horizon. Children or moving out of little children to teen children. There's all these phases of life. There's empty nesters among us and those who are moving into the grandparenting years. How does God's word light those kinds of progressions in life? So that while it's new and we acknowledge that, we feel it, we don't know how to be a grandparent the first time. You don't know how to be a parent the first time. You don't know how to be a spouse when you say those I do's. 
But how does the light of God's truth brighten that path? Clear away some of that uncertainty and just give us a settled wisdom to do what is next. Trust the light for daily guidance. There's a third response to the light, which is a responsibility for us all. We've been studying this for months now in the book of Acts, so we won't linger here. But from Matthew 5, we know our response to the light must be to shine the light in the darkness. Lord willing, we'll resume that study in Acts next week. Our theme in that study is the advance of the kingdom. Jesus gathers his disciples they, they form the church as we know it, and then Jesus is gone, and he, and he gives them the commission to teach this truth to others and take this good news everywhere. And Acts is the story of those early Christians coming to grips with this commission that Jesus gives them to shine the light in the darkness. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, tells them that they are to be this light in this crooked and perverse generation in which they live. It's amazing that thousands of years ago, Christians were told, listen, it, the world's really a mess. And they probably said things like we hear today, it's as bad as it's ever been. Surely Jesus is coming back. But the reality is, every generation of Christians that, is, that have lived had said, the world is just getting so bad, so quickly. Surely Jesus is coming back. And what that demonstrates to us is, it doesn't do us a lot of good to just say, everything's bad and surely Jesus is coming back, because Jesus has told us what to do specifically. Don't stew about how bad it is and just sit back and hope Jesus will come and fix it. He says, no, use the solution now. Shine the light into the darkness. Hold out that light. That's the picture in Philippians. He says, holding forth the word of truth as you shine as lights. So our response to the light of Christmas is not just to bask in it. That's the first point. Rejoice that you are in the light. Sing the songs about the light shining in the dark streets of Bethlehem because you know what that's really saying is the light shone in the dark streets of my heart and I came to Jesus and now I'm a worshiper. So rejoice in the light. But let that rejoicing turn to that faith and trust and pursuit of the word so that it leads us into godliness and wisdom in this coming year. And as we're rejoicing in the light and immersing ourselves in it, we, we can't help but glow like Moses did when he was in the presence of God at Mount Sinai. And he shined so that the people asked him to put a veil over his face because it was kind of messing with them. They didn't, they didn't know what to do with that. 
And the Bible takes that illustration and in Corinthians reminds us that we are to come to the word and behold our Savior so that we will glow. And once again, you can't help but shine the light to others. In Matthew 5, it's overflowing and your good works, your kindness to the cashier, your engagement with a waitress or a waiter in kind words instead of dismissive demands and bring me this like we're Caesar on a throne. Your good works will actually steer people to your heavenly Father who has wrought his kindness and his love in you. And then our study in the book of Acts takes not only a life of kindness and love of good works, but it adds to it a message of good words, of words that are full of hope and life and truth. Shine the light in darkness. And the truth is, all of us have opportunities to shine light in darkness. I would venture to say, it'd be an interesting study, that there's not a family gathered here this morning that doesn't have at least one neighbor that we would say biblically is walking in darkness, meaning they haven't come to faith in Jesus. Maybe somebody has neighbor on both sides that are believers, they're Christians, their faith is in Jesus. So, so just the fact that we're going to drive home and that home has an address probably means the numbers all around you may be in darkness. Let's ask God to help us shine the light into the darkness. After all, multiple times Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he sat down and began to teach in Matthew chapter 5, And he tells us that we are the light of the world. His light in us now is the light for darkness. So how should we respond to the light? One, rejoice that you are in the light. Two, trust that light for daily guidance. Three, shine the light in the darkness. And as you do those things, number four, hope in the victory of the light. Because the reality is we can can love the light this morning. We can sing, come behold this wondrous mystery. And that last verse speaks of that hope and the light that shines. And we can be excited about the texts that we've considered that speak of light and a sermon about light. But come about Wednesday, reminded of brokenness and groaning and darkness, terrorism and war, and funeral services scheduled. And it's going to feel like the darkness is creeping in again. And it will be important for us to remember this point where we hope in the victory of the light. And I want to think of this hope as two directions. The first is inward, an inward hope. This is hope in the victory of the light in our own hearts to chase away sinfulness in our lives, to make us a confessing, repenting people who who deal quickly with sin 
who hate sin and its effects and are quick to push our sin into the light and find the blood of Christ to be sufficient for our forgiveness. In Psalm 119, the question is asked, how can a young man keep his way pure or clean? Really, how can any of us live a godly life in this upcoming first week of 2024? And the answer is by guarding our way with God's word. So inward hope, the hope that the light will work in our hearts, it'll make us better spouses, better parents, better children, better co-workers in the workplace, better church members. That hope should be alive in us because of what God's word does in us. So believe the word. Believe that the word works. Believe that it will continue to to discern the thoughts and intents of your heart because it's powerful and it's cutting. It can do its good surgical work in your heart to sanctify you. Believe that the word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Believe that it has answers, that it lights the path. If we believe that, we'd be quick to reference it like we reference Google when we need something, we need to know it, we need to know where it is on the map, we quickly go to the reference source. Well, when life starts to get dark, go to the light and hope in the victory of that light, that it will work in your need. But you will likely also need what we'll call an outward This is the hope that stares down the darkness with a confidence that light will pierce the pitch black with the blazing light of Jesus. And you need all of that for some of the situations you face. Because what you could describe to me or to someone else over coffee in this coming week would be labeled pitch black. It looks really bad. It just seems hopeless. It has, it has worn you down. And you need a confidence to stare down that darkness that will only come from the kind of light that God promises shines from the face of Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, he adds that it pierces the blindness of the unbelieving heart. When you look around and can only see men loving darkness rather than light, then you need to come back to this hope in the power of the light. Remember John 1 and verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Write that out. Put it on your bathroom mirror, on the dashboard of your car. Put a sticky note on your computer monitor. Make a new home screen on your phone. May have lost some of you on that one. 
do something to remember this significant truth. Remind yourself often, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because this is our Christmas hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the light of Jesus Christ that has shined into our lives. We have rejoiced in it this season. We love stories of light, traditions of light. We love your truth, which is light. Now carry us forward from rejoicing to trust, to an active obedience to this light that you've given to illuminate our path. May we walk in the wisdom that is available to us through your word. Lord, let us beam almost as if we were glow-in-the-dark tools in your hands, that we would soak up the light and then it would just emit from us. Keep us from being silent and dull and from putting our light under a basket, but rather let us be candlestick kind of people so that our light may be shed on those who are in darkness. And if that seems daunting to us, if our witness seems dim, then give us courage to hope in the success and the victory and the overcoming of the light of life, who is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.